Hey, thanks for downloading the podcast. If you want to listen live, all you have to do is download the iHeartRadio app and search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Also, if you want to catch this show on video, be sure to check out Zumo TV, channel 719. That's where you can find SportsGrid's Fantasy Sports Network. Enjoy the show, and thanks so much for listening. Welcome back in, everybody, to the early line. Hour number two here on SportsGrid. I'm Dane Martinez. This is Kevin Walsh to my left or my right. It depends on how you're viewing it, right? Like stage right or on my left, how you're reading it. But I digress. We're here giving you the edge that you need on SportsGrid. And, you know, we've been talking about this a lot, Kevin. We've been talking about the idea of whatever sports are going to look like. It needs to be a collaborative effort, right? Mm -hmm. You have owners and front offices who have certain priorities or obligations. You have players who have certain priorities or obligations. You have television networks, right? You have state and local governments. You have a lot of people involved, a lot of stakeholders and constituencies here. And then there's the public, right? Who we just talked about is craving, you know, craving sports and sports investing more than ever before. And so it's hard to make everybody happy. It seems like in the NBA, you have some news also about the collective bargaining agreement. Mm -hmm. And there was an opportunity opportunity to maybe, you know, tear it up and opt out of it, but yeah. they're not going to do that yet because this is not the right time or place to get into the negotiations, right, Kev? Yeah, yeah exactly as you said. Uh, Adrian Wojnarowski reporting that the basically a decision uh, would have been needed soon, whether they, if they wanted to, because of the pandemic, tear up the collective bargaining agreement and renegotiate. And part of the reason that they would do that is the level of uncertainty is completely unparalleled. You know, just say our revenue could be, ten, I believe the quote, you know, Woj said that, uh, so it was like, if our revenue could be $10 billion or $6 billion, that it like that is astronomical uh, in terms of a difference, right? And this all applies to the salary cap and the luxury tax and all of um, these different things that need to be sorted out uh, amongst you know the league and and all of these different things. And so they've decided that they're going to push that back to September. Um, they've you know they've agreed upon moving that back. I think that's something I'll tell you. You know, it might seem very very small, Dane. But it, it gives me more hope about us getting an NBA season. I think right now, right. more than ever, uh, the onus is going to fall on the commissioners of these leagues. And if you attack it from the uh, a one-sided approach, it is not going to be beneficial. We talked a little bit about it in hour one. I mean, I genuinely can't remember Rob Manfred ever getting positive press ever. I, I mean, the whole, you know, it's not even worth getting into, but the NBA, the MLB draft being five rounds, everybody thinking it's an awful decision. And, you know, with the NBA, you see that we're hearing, you know, it's just, it's positive steps forward. No, we don't have a decision yet, but there's not been some, they're mad at them, they're mad at, like, it's, people are actually working together to give us whatever the best resolution is. And I think this is another sign of that. Yeah. You know, I, I've been saying it, we're, we're kind of straddling two worlds right now. One world is we're all in this together. Let's figure it out. We all know right. how, you know, we're all facing this. Let's let's, you know, come together, unify. Mm -hmm. But then there's this other world of like, I still got to get my money. Right. And I'm still going to get paid and still the kind of cutthroat elements of it. Right. So I, th I do think it's good. I do think it's encouraging that they're not opting out of the CBA, that they're not dealing with that piece of business right now. And instead prioritizing how do we how do we get back, you know, and how do we give the entertainment for everybody? How do we get um, paychecks? 
for everybody um, and figuring out some of the details there. So it's an important story to keep an eye on as we continue to evolve on what this does look like when we do, in fact, come back to sports. But, you know, one of the big things that happened last week, and you're saying, like, the UFC, only game in town, you know, was the NFL schedule release. Yeah. And Kevin, they made a three-hour broadcast out of it, right? Why? Because it was the only thing in town. And so I want to give you one other kind of look on it. I know we went into things like back-to-back-to-back road games, who has an easy yeah. schedule, who doesn't. But I have another theory, and you'll be happy as an Eagles fan because I think it benefits the Eagles and a couple of other key NFC contenders. Check this mm. out. Kevin, would you, re- would you accept that on those spotlight games – those Thursday night games, Monday night football, Sunday night football, that the road team has a bad spot. You know, like we talk about it on Thursday night all the time. It's tough for a team to go out and win on the road on Thursday night, short turnaround, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And and similarly, you know, Monday night football, when there's crowds, the crowds are geeked up. This is yeah. like their biggest, you know, so it's a tough spot to be on the road in those primetime games. Would you agree? This is my first premise you know, that we're going to we're going to talk about beneficiaries and, and who it hurts. But do you agree with that premise or objective overall? Yeah, I mean, that that definitely I can, I can get with you on okay. checkpoint one there. I think that that, you know, because even if it's a lesser team, it means mm-hmm. that you're going to probably be getting their best shot. So I think right. under any scenario, uh, I would agree. OK, fair enough. So and we've looked at some of the teams who have a lot of primetime games, right? We, yeah. We've seen the teams that have multiple primetime games. I think a number of teams have five. If you consider Thanksgiving, Dallas actually has six. Mm. But I did a little bit more digging into those primetime games. And, Kevin, here's the deal. These are usually good games, right, between two contenders, let's say, right? Or maybe when you would give the road team a win when we do the little win-loss game. Sure. But I think it's important if you look. Here's what I'm talking about. So, for example, um. The Philadelphia Eagles have four primetime games on their schedule, Kevin. Mm. Three of them are at home. They get lucky. They get lucky. All right. For Philly, they have they're at San Francisco on a Sunday night, right? Mm-hmm. That's their only road primetime game. They welcome the Giants on a Thursday night. They welcome Dallas on a Sunday night. And they welcome uh, Seattle on a Monday night football. So, for example, that Dallas game, right? Maybe if you're playing win-loss, win-loss, you might give Dallas a win at Philadelphia. But it becomes a lot harder when you realize that that's Sunday night football. And check this out. Seattle has four primetime games. Three of them are at home. Okay? Check this out. San Francisco has five primetime games. Four of them are at home. The Raiders have four primetime games. All four of them are at home, you know, showcasing the new stadium, let's say, right? Everybody Mm -hmm. wants to come to Vegas for a primetime set, but it's vice versa for other teams, okay? For example, Mm -hmm. the Steelers have four primetime games. Three of them are on the road, you know, so here's the thing. Pittsburgh is one of those teams. We've talked about it when we did the AFC North, Kevin. You know, we were kind of on the fence about them making the playoffs, right? And now let's look at Pittsburgh, okay? Here are three of their road primetime games. I actually believe when we were doing win-loss, you might have given the Steelers a win 
in a couple of these, and I want to go back to it and see if it's any different for you. For example, they opened the season Monday Night Football at the New York Football Giants. When we just saw their schedule and we knew who was home and who was road, you might have said, that's a win for Pittsburgh. Yeah. What about now, knowing that it's Monday Night Football on the season opener, is that still a win for you, Kev? Yeah, it's, you know, it's a big spot. And if I remember correctly, I actually think when we did that, I think I might have given it to the Giants. If I, I think because, okay. you know, sometimes Pittsburgh will, will find themselves... Um, right. right there on the line, right? Yeah, like, it, you know... Here's another, one. Here's another one of their road games, Kevin. Week 14. This is a big one. Sunday night at Buffalo. This could be very interesting, right? And people may think, okay, yeah, Pittsburgh can get the job done. What about now? It's prime time week 14 when they may have a lot on the line and people are going through tables. (laughs) Man, I hope hope we've got people going through tables at that point in the world, man. That's all we can hope for. But, yeah, it's a good point. But I'm saying – and then the other one is the following week on Monday night at Cincinnati. Now, this is the only time – Cincinnati has a primetime game. I'm not saying I lean Cincinnati because but, of this, you know, but to yeah. the point, right? Sure. These are three road games that you might have been like, yeah, Pittsburgh can get the job done, but it's a little, it's a tougher task on the road on prime time. Yeah. So I believe, you know, NFC wild card contenders or playoff contenders, I consider Seattle, Philly, um, they're, they're contenders, and they get the balance of their primetime games at home. I think it helps teams like Philly, like San Fran, like Seattle. What do you think? I know. I, th- I, think, I think it makes all the sense in the world. Ultimately, those high-pressured games, you know, you have to want them at home. I, you know, I remember looking through the Eagles schedule, right? It's like, man, they host Seattle. They host the Saints. Right. A, tough, a tough home schedule. But at the end of the day, you know what? I'd rather that than have to go to the Dome or, or go and play in front of the 12th man, right? Like, so and now you put it on prime time and you should be able to get then the Eagles best in that scenario. If the link has fans in it, it would be rocking. So I, I totally think that yeah, it makes it makes a lot of sense. I I I'm I'm in lockstep with you here. Like I'll, yeah. There's two other teams, okay, that I think it really hurts. One is the Houston Texans. They only have two primetime games, both of them on the road. And here's what they are, Kevin. They're the sacrificial lamb to the Chiefs in the season opener. On Thursday night, like maybe you weren't going to think that they were going to get to win an hour ride anyway. But the other one, Thanksgiving in Detroit. Now, I would have thought they were going to beat the Lions. And it's not like the Lions have a great record on Thanksgiving games either. But when you just see at Detroit, you think it's one level of challenge. When you see it's at Detroit in their Super Bowl, in essence, on Thanksgiving, it's a different level of challenge. And here's the other one. The Arizona Cardinals. Kevin, you and I, we've both discussed how we kind of, we got a little love for the Cardinals this year. Maybe they yeah. take a step forward, right? I yeah. remember telling you they are one of the teams that have a dreaded back-to-back-to-back piece mm-hmm. of their schedule three road games and the last one of those three is on the road at the cowboys on monday night okay mm-hmm. so you may have thought they could get the job done but it's the third of three straight road games and it's a prime time game yeah. monday night football in jerry's world the only other prime time game the cardinals have is a horrible spot on the road at seattle on thursday night with mm-hmm. a short turnaround now the Cardinals won in Seattle last year, okay? But this just makes it even harder. So I think there's some teams where they're behind the eight ball, they're behind the eight ball in terms of their primetime schedule. 
Yeah, I, I think it makes a lot of sense, right? And, you know, even for some of these teams that are up and coming, right, like in Arizona, their likelihood to be on prime time is really only by playing these big teams. And right. um, so it kind of already, in essence, can put them behind the eight ball. And, and something you mentioned – and. Cowboys is going to be such a tough spot for Arizona. Back to back to back road games, prime time in Jerry's world. Like I would have thought Arizona could have gotten the job done in that game. I am now going to lean Cowboys. Yeah, and, and I guess the only question would be with because you know, one of the other you know scheduling quirks that we talked about is yeah. just teams having to play three straight road games. So right. right there, you know Dallas has the upper hand. It's Arizona getting extra rest of a Monday game. And I know it's only a day, but you know, it makes you wonder, huh, does that help them at all? Or it can, because this thing, this stuff can always go the other way, man. They got to do an extra day. These guys are dying to get home. They're going to come out there flat as a mouse and Dallas is going to roll right through them. Yeah. I mean, I think there are certain examples in the schedule where you continue to look for value and you continue to look for trends when you continue yeah. to look for teams that are in a bad spot that you can get ahead of it. You know, if I had the week six lines right now, I would lean towards Dallas because I think when we get to that point, more and more people will realize it and the line may lose. And what you're trying to do is get value early on and beat the closing line, right? So I do think we have an opportunity to get value there. When we come back, we continue to look at the NFL schedule. DailyRoto.com. Learn from the game's best DFS players. We don't just give you premier advice. We play every day. All major sports, all year round, we never stop. Industry-leading DFS tools and custom projections. And now, the DailyRoto.com Optimizer. In minutes, build an optimized lineup for cash games and tourneys. Learn from the game's best DFS players. Join DailyRoto.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the early line right here on Sports Grid. When we went to break, Kevin, we were talking about, you know, some of the schedule nuggets Mm -hmm. and the idea that some teams are just in a bad spot as per their primetime games. I mean, the Steelers have three road trips in primetime. The Texans have to go two places in spotlight games. The Cardinals, the Falcons, the Chargers are among teams that have multiple road trips in spotlight games, which cannot be easy. But, Kevin, another thing we realize is when we talk about travel, you know, whether it's west to east or back-to-back-to-back road games. We talked about how the Baltimore Ravens don't have a ton of uh, travel in their schedule. And you know what I find is interesting? I've told you and everybody else, there's a formula, right? You just happen to rotate the divisions in the other conference that you play or the entire division uh, of your conference that you play. And it's ironic because this year, the east plays the west in the AFC. All right. So by definition, you're going to have road trips. Okay, the Chargers have to play the Jets or the, you know, the teams in the West have to play the teams in the East. So that is a road trip. But ironically, this year, the AFC East also plays the NFC West. So all the teams in the AFC have multiple trips out West. And I find that there's, you know, this was treated differently by the schedule makers. And you saw some instances where Mm -hmm. this could be a different and to travel in terms of the body clock and ultimately competitive balance. Yeah, this is massive. So, And we've already heard some teams talk about this. The Patriots are going to be playing the Chargers and the Rams in consecutive weeks. They are not going to be traveling back to New England in between those weeks. So when we calculate the miles traveled for the Patriots, every week we're taking them from basically New England to the next place that they'd be going. In this instance, 
there will be no travel. And they're not just that uh, the team in that situation. The Niners are coming to the East Coast right. to play the Jets and the, the Giants in consecutive weeks. And they right. will not be traveling back-to-back. And another similar situation is Sean McVay and his Rams will not be traveling back west after playing the Eagles as they would then prepare for the Buffalo Bills the next week. And the hmm. question to me then, Dane, is trying to figure out what this means for us as betters and what this means in terms of an approach to, you know, picking these games, you know, whatever it might be. Because, and we'll just use the, the Patriots, for example. So they go out there and they play. I don't remember if it's the Chargers or Rams first. Let's just say they play the Chargers first, okay? And they go out there and whatever happens, happens. first in week 13 mm-hmm. and then quick turnaround even. Thursday night, But they don't right? have to travel. I think that's important too because one of the things we always talk about on the road team on Thursday night is the quick turnaround for the travel. The yeah. Patriots will be in Los Angeles for week 13, then play the Rams in Los Angeles, same stadium probably, for Thursday night football in week 14. What, what's interesting there is okay, well, the Patriots didn't have travel. In, in, in essence, not a home team, right? Not a home game. But they've been – I don't know where the Rams are the previous week, but they might the have been in – from Arizona. So the, so the Patriots have actually been in L.A. at that right. point longer than the Rams have. Exactly. And the Patriots' body clock by that point will actually be somewhat adjusted to West Coast time. Oddly enough, Dane, I wonder if our spot might not be picking on the Niners their second game at MetLife or the Patriots in their second game in L.A., but that third week, if they're readjusting – to their normal time zone while they've been away for Mm -hmm. two consecutive weeks. Yeah, I think that makes uh, good sense. I've always heard back in the day, like the Seahawks were such a physical team in their defense that the week after you played the Seahawks, it was tough to get up, and that was a fade. You know, these are some Mm -hmm. trends people look like. By contrast, Kevin, check this out. I mentioned the Jets. They have road trips to the Chargers and the Rams, right? But they play the Chargers in L.A. week six. Then they play the Rams in L.A. week 15, okay? So they have to make multiple trips out west as opposed to kind of getting it all done. You know, in the NBA, there's teams that in their schedule, they do the Texas swing, right? You play the Rockets, you play the Mavericks, you play the Spurs, and you kind of get that all done in one one chance. And uh, that will not be the case for the Jets, where that is the chance for the Patriots. So, you know, there's some inconsistencies there in how they do it. One team, though, Kevin, that does not have three straight road games, does not have this kind of travel, is the Detroit Lions. And we're going to look at Detroit today as we continue our team-by-team kind of roster reset and way-too-early lines trying to find value on them. Today, we look at the Detroit Lions. Now, listen, everybody knows they had an interesting draft. They get Akuda in the first round, number three overall. Some people thought it could have gone you know, Simmons or another place on defense. Some people thought they were going to trade out of that pick for a quarterback needy team. There were even some who thought that the Lions themselves were going to start to look for the next franchise quarterback after Matthew Stafford. They mm. want the Cuda, then DeAndre Swift in round two. We'll talk about that pick and on and on and on. What were your thoughts overall about the Lions draft? So, Jeff Okuda uh, is a player that I am I'm high on. I thought it was okay. a great selection for them at three. And the only reason for them to trade back is because there was a chance that they'd still be able to get Okuda at five or six had they traded right. with one of those two teams that took quarterback. Um, ultimately, 
the problem with Okuda and his impact is it's not like he's coming in and strengthening up the secondary. He's coming in to replace Darius Slay, which is a very, very heavy asking price for a rookie cornerback. Um, and, and that's where overall I like Okuda, but do I think he's going to have the, you know, what will be labeled an incredibly successful rookie season? I'm hesitant. And then you get to the DeAndre Swift selection, and this is where, you know, man, yeah. like Matt, Matt Patricia and, and certain situations, and, and that's really going to be the focus, I think, of, you know, the conversation with the Lions. But, you know, DeAndre Swift, like if I told you, right, you can get the best running back in the draft at 35, I think it was, like that's usually yeah. a win. That's usually a win. You know, because even years where, where running backs are being devalued, you still have to go earlier than that. And for a lot of people, DeAndre Swift was the best running back in the draft. But is that the biggest need for this football team? Is that what's right. going to put this football team over the edge? Like, there was still other talent, I felt like, on the board that maybe could have been more of a difference maker for this team. Like, a split between Swift and on Johnson. Right. You know, is on just going to fall to the to to the side now? I know he's had his injury concerns I think the Detroit Lions are a team that it's, you know, it's it's push and pull. I, I thought they did some nice things later on in the draft, you know, and I think maybe if that Swift pick was another, you know, mm -hmm. maybe key defensive piece, some people yeah. could have argued it was an A draft. Um, but, you know, it was, it's one of those things, man, where it's just this right now is an organization that's in a very, very odd position to me. Yeah, and I think that's what it is for me too, right? The positional need. You know, we talk about what teams are there and, and how we consider a wide receiver or a running back sometimes as a luxury pick, right? When the Chiefs yeah. drafted Edward Tolaire, when the Cowboys drafted CeeDee Lamb, it was sort of a luxury pick. And when other teams have made that kind of pick without addressing what we thought were their most important need, we've thrown shade at it. Remember, think about with the Packers drafting A.J. Dillon when we didn't think they needed him in a running back committee. And I feel the same way about DeAndre Swift. Now, again, this is not a knock on Swift as a player. I thought mm -hmm. he was the best running back coming out of the draft. I thought yeah. he was the, you know, three down back potential coming out of the draft. But to your point, they get the cornerback in Okuda early. They get linebackers later on in the draft. They double down on the offensive line in rounds three and four. And I think that's smart. But if you're going to speak to that as a priority, I know Kevin, at the top of round two, there were big-time offensive linemen left, right? Mm. Ezra Cleveland was still out there. Josh Jones was still out there. Sure. So I just wonder if it was the right kind of allocation of capital to the position groups that yeah. needed it. I'll give him a B, a B minus, because, listen, Okuda, I think, was the right pick, but I agree with you. This idea of DeAndre Swift, is it someone you need or that you just – thought he could move the needle. So there's only one way yeah. to find out, and we'll see how they organize the running back room moving forward. Yeah, and I think, like, Swift is good. Like, I wouldn't yeah. tell you that 35 is an offensible draft spot for a player of his talent level. Or even, honestly, his position. It's specific to the Detroit Lions because, to me, you know, and they got some good value, man, on some interior offensive linemen throughout this draft, but... And it's, it's funny, but I feel like a lot of times when we talk about some guys in their draft, a lot of time I will consistently mention Christian Fulton and Jalen Johnson. Yeah. And it's hard for that not to be a part of the calculus. It reminds me of when DK Metcalf fell the way that he did. Every other team that took receiver, I'm like, he could have took DK Metcalf. And I think if you're the Lions, like I said, Jeff Okuda, their secondary was bad with Slay. 
were the worst in the NFL pass defense, 32nd. And then they just traded away their one lockdown exactly. corner. So, right, they could have doubled down. Okuda could have a Marshawn Lattimore-type rookie year. Right. And they are still. still going to be a bad passing defense. But if they would have got Jeff Okuda and Christian Fulton, which for some people were the two best corners in the draft, and that would have been the, all of a sudden now, we're having a different conversation, I think, about this Detroit Lions football team. All right, so let's continue the conversation about this Detroit Lions football team. We're going to look and try and find some value up against their futures bets. We're going to give you a diamond and a fugazi for them in fantasy. And then we're going to also go game by game with the Detroit Lions schedule, which has been released. And we're going to kind of pressure test our outlook on the Lions after we go through the game by game exercise. So the, for the first thing here is uh, the Detroit Lions, their win total is six and a half, Kevin. I will say this, though heavy juice to the over right now our friends at FanDuel that has it at six and a half over minus 150 to the over plus 125 if you think they go six or ten or worse now this is a team that was in last place uh, in this division last year that's why they got the third overall pick you know I'm fading the Chicago Bears do you think the Lions again are the last place team in this division how do you lean on their win total it stands at six and a half with heavy juice Last year, uh, my favorite win total bet was the Lions under. And when they got a tie with the Cardinals in a game that, that had no business being anything other than a win, I felt very, very good about myself. And I will gladly go back to the well again. Again, I, I think that they've done some all right things with this roster. I am picking on one person here, and it is Matt Patricia. Ah. He's not an NFL head coach. He's just not. I, I was telling you a little bit off air. I'm, I'm going to see if I can go through this 256 exercise again. And at the minimum, at least pick 256 as opposed to the 263 that I picked the other time I gave this <laughs> thing a world. Um, and, you know, that game one, they're going up against the Chicago Bears. And what jumped out right away, Matt Nagy, who took over the Bears the same time that Patricia took over the Lions, 4-0 against Patricia. Patricia last year was 0-6 in division. And it's hard to really envision anything other than them being the last place team in mm. this division. I'm lower on the Bears. I'm questionable about the Packers and, and okay. even the Vikings. The Lions are just not a team to me that can come in and capitalize on any of that. All right, so fair enough. So if you're taking under for six and a half, I think it stands to reason then, Kevin, that you don't think that the 2020 Detroit Lions will qualify for the playoffs. No, 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 so no. Oh. if you want to go no playoffs, the question I ask you is, would you lay minus 330 juice on that? Give me a quick yes or no answer, and then we'll test the theory going game by game. Uh, minus 330, would you lay that for the Lions to not make the playoffs? No, I would not. Still a little too much juice, I think. All right, so let's figure it out. We drill even a little bit deeper. We give you a diamond and a fugazi for the Detroit Lions, and we play out their 2020 schedule. The focus continues to be on the Detroit Lions. Coming back on the early line, we'll figure out how to make some money betting Detroit. Come on back. DailyRoto.com. Learn from the game's best DFS players. We don't just give you premier advice. We play every day. All major sports, all year round, we never stop. Industry-leading DFS tools and custom projections. And now, the DailyRoto.com Optimizer. In minutes, build an optimized lineup for cash games and tourneys. Learn from the game's best DFS players. Join DailyRoto.com. 
All right, welcome back to the early line. Dane and Kevin zooming in on the Detroit Lions. And we talked about their draft a little bit. And it seems like, Kevin, it seems like you are fading the Detroit Lions. Not a ton of confidence in Matt Stafford. Right. And ultimately, Matt Patricia is the reason for your concern. Is that correct? Oh, 100%. I just don't think he's good. He's not been good since he's got there. And honestly, like, he's a defensive guy, right? Like, Because when he gets fired at the end of this season and then he's made a defensive coordinator someone else, like, do realize that they're hiring the guy who's defensive, who's, who's in charge of a defense that you just said was 32nd against the pass right. in the 2020 NFL. Apparently, there was a divide at the three pick because he wanted Derrick Brown. If you think Derrick Brown in 2020 is the pick to make to strengthen your defense after being 32nd against the pass, after losing Derrick, you don't know football, man. Like no, I hear I know, you. I know that that's like a lot to say about a guy who has the job and has been around as long as he had the ideas. He doesn't know football, there, but there's a disconnect. He's not getting something. Right, Clearly. that interior line these days, right? Stopping the run is not the priority in the NFL right After now. You know, because it's a passing against league. the pass. No, you absolutely. Think, and losing Darius Slay, you're like, I think we need a defensive tackle who's a good run stopper. Yeah, no, I hear you. And listen, I'll even go further. You know, remember here, Kevin, they call me the spitting statistician, the stable genius and vocal minority. Before Matt Patricia, Jim Caldwell had that team in the playoffs. Jim Caldwell was around 500 multiple leagues, years, right? And then the Ford family was like, no, no, no. We just need someone new to be the cherry on top and get us all the way home. And their answer was Matt Patricia. Okay, and it hasn't happened. They have regressed. In essence, I think Jim Caldwell got done dirty, but I'll leave it at that. Let's look at the Lions' schedule here for 2020 because, listen, they're six and a half as a win total. All right, Kevin? It sounds like you think they may not get there. So let's see if there's, you know, if there's a window of opportunity, if there's distance there, enough after we go game by game for you to click submit on that under bed. All righty? So here was what we're going to do. And in weeks past, we've done like, oh, let's go through their home schedule oh let's go through their road schedule yeah, yeah, yeah. but now that we have their schedule we're gonna go game by game because i'm gonna highlight for you oh it's a primetime game oh it's back-to-back -back road games oh there's a lot of travel from this place to this place to have a little bit more context when we go through their schedule you ready for it kevin let's do it let's do it let's do it they open let's see they open at home against those chicago bears who you're also fading you give them a win i do not give them a win matt Nagy's 4-0 against okay. patricia Fair enough. Then they go on the road to Green Bay, week two, their opener. Loss. Another loss. Then they stay on the road back-to-back, -back, and they fly to Arizona oh. for the Cardinals. I know we like the Cardinals. I absolutely do. Arizona gets a win there. That's another That's loss. another loss. Cool. You have them going 0-3. Then sure, they but... finally come back home, but it is not an easy matchup. It is against, you know, who many people believe is the favorite for the entire NFC. They're playing the New Orleans Saints week four. Oh, that is miserable for them. In the same. Back it's to kind of, Detroit, it's though. In, indoor. No? Man. You know what's funny? Don't the Saints find a way to lose these games? They do. Don't Let's be creative. They defecate the mattress every now and then. Give Detroit this win that nobody At else home. would give, give them. Give them a home win. Okay, so you got oh, them thanks. one and three through the first month. Then they're yeah. on the road, and one that I think is winnable, they are at Jacksonville. Mm. Does Minshew get it done against them? I'm going to give Gardner the game because Jacksonville huh. has to win some games, and I'm That's telling true. you I can't have them be 0-16 through this exercise. Fair. This is the 2-56 and 56 of it all. So you have them 1-4 and four after 5. Then they – Stay on the road, stay down south. They go to the Georgia Dome to take on the Falcons. You know, Fa the Falcons are a team I've gone back and forth on quite a bit here. Okay. Um, I don't want to try and linger over a singular game too much, but this is a tough one to call. 
Um, but let me give it to the Falcons throughout this exercise. So that's another that's loss. loss. You have the you now have the Lions at one and five. If they're that one win being over the Saints. This is great. Yeah. That is the way you have it. You have them one and five, but that win was against Drew Brees and the Saints. So at one and five, then they come back home and they take on the Indianapolis Colts in an interconference matchup. Man, I, the Colts, we're going to get through this at some point, but the Colts uh-huh. really might like have the best schedule in the league. When we talk about best record, the Colts okay. are in that conversation. And part of it is because when they travel, it's to a place like Detroit. Um, so man. you're giving them the win, thus Detroit the loss here. Correct. You got Detroit one and six. Then they go on the road in division, another dome to see Minnesota at Minnesota. Yeah, Im- impossible for me to give that you game. Have them lost. You have them one and seven. All right, let me tempt you with this one. They return home and see the Washington football team. Can they get that one? Yes, they can. We'll give them that one. All right, two and seven. Then they go back on the road to Carolina to see Teddy Bridgewater oh. and the Panthers in Carolina. Man, how about that? Could it be back-to-back wins? The Panthers, not great, but the Panthers are home. I'm going to give Patricia another win. You're going to give Detroit the win here? Yeah, I am. All right, so you have them 3-7. and Then we go into Thanksgiving where they host the Houston Texans. They are host. I do not love this Texans football team. I I know that for sure. Wow, but the Lions aren't winning three in a row. They don't win on Thanksgiving. Come on. Nah. Texas. Congratulations. You have three and eight. Then after Thanksgiving, remember, this is a case, though, where they'll have long rest, right? Yes. Good point. The mini pie. And then they go on the road and take on the Bears. You had them losing at home to the Bears in the season opener. They're on the road to take on Chicago. Mini bye. Patricia beats Nagy. How kind am I? Give it to them. Four and seven. Then they come back home and they welcome the Packers to town. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Aaron Rodgers will not lose to that football team. Okay. That's three and nine. Uh, then we get. Is it three and nine? Those four and eight. Excuse me. You're right. Excuse me. You are correct. Now that's four and nine. And with three games left uh, at Tennessee, Tennessee might need that one. Yeah, and they should get it. All right. So you got them at four and ten. Their last two games are both at home. They welcome in Tom Brady, though, who probably needs it. Oh, yeah. And he gets it. All right, 4-11, and 11. and then they finish the season against another team that may need this in playoff positioning. They are home, and they bring in Minnesota to finish their season. Yeah, the Vikings always lose Week 17, whether they need it or not. So there you go. There's your fifth one of the year. All right, so you have them going 5-11. and 11. Remember now, the over-under on their season win total is 6.5. Is that yeah. 1.5 gap win enough for you to bet it? Remember I said the yeah. is also minus 150. Yeah, so I think you said the you said the over was minus one fifty. The over is minus one fifty. Excuse me, you're correct. So I think as I kind of you know when we peer through the schedule and again, part of that exercise is just trying to be familiar with kind of what it offers you, right? I had them getting five wins. They were zero mm-hmm. and six in division last year. I got them getting two this year, um, and they Plus also beat five. this. You want to bet this under? They they bet they beat the Saints in this scenario. I you know I think I think this is especially at plus money. Yeah, I think I could see myself coming back to betting another Lions under. All right, so there you have it, okay? And that's why we do the exercise, right, Kevin? We go game by game and see, because you may have an initial knee-jerk reaction on the team, but Mm -hmm. then you see where the schedule comes to pass and where maybe they have some good spots, maybe they have them bad spots, but with a a 6.5 total, you got them to 5. So that 1.5 game difference is enough for you to actually make this bet, especially because the under is at plus 125, correct? 
Yeah, the, and that's a nice thing. If you can get plus money on it, because a lot of times you'll have to lay uh, a juice. If you, it, it feel like it always happens. You find a total you like, you're laying juice. And there's no way I'm laying juice for them to win seven games. There's right. no way. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm with you. I also think that the Lions will be kind of bottom feeders right now. And ironically, I actually think this could be the end of Matthew Stafford with the Detroit Lions. I mean, this has been around for a long time. There has been buzz around Matthew Stafford. Remember, his wife has very challenging health issues right now. Matthew Stafford has had a bad back. He's had a broken hand, and he's kind of tough through it. Let me ask you, how long is Matthew Stafford for this job of QB1? We've talked about things like Philip Rivers, Big Ben, you know, all these kind of older veteran incumbent quarterbacks. We've had the conversation with Aaron Rodgers, even with the drafting of Jordan Love. How long do you think Stafford is still there? Yeah, so I got to think that, I mean, I'm not trying to be hard on Patricia. I'm just telling you my honest, honest opinion. I don't believe that he will be the coach of this team next year. Mm. So as they pull that down, and let's just say they shock the world and make a smart decision and hire Eric Bieniemy. I'm going to give him the best case scenario. Okay. Right? And they're all of a sudden, they're this 5-11 and 11 team or maybe four wins. I mean, they're sitting right there at the top. There's no reason not to draft Justin they Fields. They get Justin Fields, right. And make and and turn this thing around. Now, maybe Stafford's there for one more year. And honestly, honestly, the enemy with one year of Stafford, not a bad move depending on the contract situation. You might be able to trade him and get some value uh, a la Alex Smith and mm -hmm. then the takeover to Patrick Mahomes that right. we saw in Kansas City. I don't think it's the worst-case scenario for this for, for this team. And I think part of this as well is at some point it will reveal itself, but we are waiting for the bottom to fall out of the quarterback market. I think right. another reason that Stafford remains on this team, what's the market? I'm not saying tell me a team that Stafford would be an upgraded quarterback. Tell me a team that it makes any sense that to trade sense for, for Matt them. Stafford by giving up actual capital. That makes – like. Who would give up a, a second-round pick right now to make Stafford their QB? I, I couldn't name one. I hear you. We, we've been talking about teams like Jacksonville, New England, Washington. But in essence, when you have to also give something up to get it, that's the difference of, you know, Jameis signing and why Andy Dalton asked for a release because no one was going to pay the price when they know they can just get him for a song on the open market. I think that is – you know, smart. But then when you talk about the future for the Lions, you got to think about where the other teams in the division are in their cycle. You know, the Bears are still slogging through realizing that Mitchell Trubisky is not their guy. The Packers may be close to a reset button. You know, they are giving indicators right now with the drafting of Jordan Love that maybe, you know, they realize that it's time for them to kind of go through another cycle. So if the Lions catch it right, and they turn the page in yeah. a correct way, they could be, you know, kind of the leaders in the clubhouse and ahead of it, uh, ahead of the curve, shall we say, of every other team. I do think that's very interesting. But for now, you think in 2020, the Lions are a good under bet. Here's what we're going to do. And I want to get, you know, more thoughts of you on the Detroit Lions in terms of new faces, new places, things of that nature. But I want you to think of in the fantasy world, who is one guy that you are high on and who is one guy that you are down on that you would not be drafting? I call that a fugazi, someone you want to forget about. But before we get into that, 
Yeah. And maybe this is an inkling into your pick. What do you think this running back room looks like? Because you talked about on Johnson. He has the injury kind of concerns. And they bring in DeAndre Swift. We've been talking about committees so much, right? And mm-hmm. how now there's committees with three guys. Bo Scarborough had a couple of good efforts yeah. for them yeah. in press into action late last year. What do you think this is going to look like? Is this an even timeshare? Is on the lean dog? Or is DeAndre Swift? So I think Swift is the most talented back, and I think where they drafted him means that they're going to be wanting uh, to get him the football. The question is, though, Carrion Johnson still putting up some value for them. How much work does Carrion get? And it's a matter of, I think DeAndre Swift ultimately wins out. The question is, is that a 55-45 win out, or is it a 75-25 win out? And that's difficult for me. I know this. If their draft price is the same, I take Swift every single time. In a, and I'm talking about even a single single season redraft. Okay, so maybe that's at a uh, lower round RB two, maybe at your flex position. But if you see Swift and Carryon Johnson still available on the board, you're leaning to DeAndre Swift. When we come back, we find out who we want on our fantasy rosters from the Detroit Lions and who we wouldn't touch with a ten foot pole. All that and more. We also talk about the Last Dance episode seven and eight in the books. We'll give you our kind of uh, critique and review of that when we come back. It's Dane and Kevin. DailyRoto.com. Learn from the game's best DFS players. We don't just give you premier advice. We play every day. All major sports, all year round, we never stop. Industry-leading DFS tools and custom projections. And now, the DailyRoto.com Optimizer. In minutes, build an optimized lineup for cash games and tourneys. Learn from the game's best DFS players. Join DailyRoto.com. All right, everybody, welcome back to the early line right here on SportsRid, giving you the edge and looking at the way too early lines for the Detroit Lions. You know, it doesn't look like Kevin is a fan. He looks like maybe we're on the precipice of turning the page on a number of levels, whether it's their veteran quarterback, whether it's a coach that's on the hot seat and what this team will look like in the future. We know they'll have a lockdown corner. We know they have a potential three down back in DeAndre Swift. But listen, Kevin, all these teams are going at it with a committee. That's why I asked you, do you think it's a 60-40 split with carry-on, 70-30, and even timeshare? You said you would rather have Swift. Is mm-hmm. Swift someone that, like, you're targeting in fantasy drafts? Is carry-on someone you're targeting with late value, potentially? I got to tell you something. Last year, and if you watched Fantasy Freestyle, you knew I was all over carry-on Johnson. I even had a song for him, like, carry-on. <laughs> and so I was high on him, and he did not deliver for me with the injury concerns and the like. We were seeing guys like Ty Johnson, Bo Scarborough by the end of the year. So tell me, who are you targeting of the Detroit Lions? Who would be like your diamond in the rough on this 4-12 and team that you think is going to happen? I think it's Matt Stafford, honestly. Really? As silly as that might sound, I think they're going to play from behind quite often. Right. And I do think that he still has some good weapons to throw the ball to. Kenny Galladay, Marvin Jones. uh, And honestly, DeAndre Swift, as a pass catcher, is Mm. pretty, pretty good. And I think that they'll be able to actually get some very real value uh, out of this receiving core. Matt Stafford was playing some decent football before he did go down. Mm. And I think that this window that he's missed, I mean, they came back and said, uh, the Lions, you know, in mid-April. They said, if we had camp today, Stafford's a full participant. So I have no concerns about the yeah, injury and what have you. And, you know, I'm personally someone like, you know, when you are doing these drafts, man, you know, people always say, you got to wait on the quarterback. You got to wait on the quarterback. Yes. Look, like, which is, 
it's true to an extent. If you waited on Lamar, you probably won your league or got very, very close. But there's also like seven other guys who were like, just wait and you'll be great candidates. And it didn't matter. Like you got to try and pin down the guy a lot of times. But if you can't, then really waiting can pay off for you. And I'd have to think that Matt Stafford is, you know, I don't even know if he'd be in the top 20 without having any type of quarterback ranks in front of me. Right. But I, I can't imagine he'd be very, very high up there. And I think that's the situation where if you're going to take two quarterbacks and you take them both for the last two picks of your draft and Stafford's one of them, I'm not against that in the slightest. Yeah, I agree with you. And Stafford is definitely someone that I say every year to target if you're employing the weight on quarterback strategy. Here's the other thing I'll say with you, Kevin. If you're going to do that, and yes, that is something I recommend. Do not draft Deshaun Watson, Patty Mahomes, and that kind of stuff because just the gap um, in value versus the kind of running back or wide out that you can get at that level of the draft is just not there. But what I'll also say, Kevin, is if you're going to do that weight on quarterback, I call it, you know, like upside and safe. You know, if you're yeah. going to get two guys late, have one of them be this huge, you know, upside kind of guy. The Lamar Jackson, the Josh Allen, the Kyler Murray, the Dak Prescott, right? Mm-hmm. Where you have a ton of upside. And then the other quarterback you need to get is someone that's like safe, that's going to throw 4,500 yards year in, year out. And Matthew Stafford is perfect for that. Another guy in that vein is Philip Rivers for me. Okay, a guy that, you know, is always going to get you that kind of replacement yeah. value. And he's going to be okay so that you can take your shot on the upside quarterback somewhere else in the draft. And you're absolutely right. Listen, he only had eight games last year, but he threw for 2,500 yards in eight games, okay? And he's got a ton of seasons with 4,500, 4,000 yards, even one back in 2011 where he threw for 5,000 yards. There's a reason Matthew Stafford is among the all-time leaders in this passing league. So absolutely. Who's the guy, though, you may be fading on the Detroit Lions roster, someone who you're going to let someone else have him. He is not going to be on any of your fantasy teams this year. There's no scenario where Kerryon Johnson's on a team of mine. I I mean, there's not one. I I mean... This is a guy who is injury prone, right? Yep. Both of his first two seasons cut short due to injury, and they just took a running back in round two with other needs on the board who's That's more right. talented than him. What's the world where carry on's the pick? Like, even if you tell yourself, look how late he is, maybe he's getting 40 yeah. Like, man, your only path to success with that is DeAndre Swift going down. And that's a really odd way to do a draft strategy. And there's still no guarantee that carry on wouldn't follow suit in terms of, of an injury coming up. Yeah, I agree with you. And it's tough for me to say because I literally, he was like my guy last year. I don't know if you saw, but I literally had the song every time we were talking about it. But I do agree with you. I would fade carry on Johnson this year. The injury history is now a concern. You can now almost say he is injury prone, which is not something good. And to see that the organization decided to address that position group with a high pick, I do think DeAndre Swift has three down back potential. And you're not spending your second round pick on a guy unless you expect that as well I think ultimately the other part for me is that rookie running backs they tend to come on late when I'm in my fantasy playoffs right so if I have carry on Johnson I don't want Swift taking more and more of the touches as we go through the season and then when I'm there in the fantasy playoffs this is more of a 70 30 split if anything so I'm with you unfortunately yeah. I would fade carry on Johnson he'd be my <laughs> fugazi this year one year after being a diamond in the rough you know I'm also what do you think about TJ Hawkinson because for me 
I say it every year. Mm-hmm. Tight end is not a position where I am taking a rookie. Okay, it is very hard for rookie tight ends to hit the ground running. Why? Because they have to learn the entire route tree and the entire blocking scheme, which is not easy and not what they had to do in college. TJ Hawkinson, though, did come on late, did have some games late on, and then he went down, right? He should be healthy and ready to go for this one. What do you think about these pass catchers? Because I love Galladay, but I think yeah. everybody's going to be on Galladay this year, right? Oh, yeah, I think they Marvin are. Jones is a touchdown getter. They bring in Geronimo Allison. They have a guy like Danny Amendola. But then there's TJ Hawkinson also. I'm intrigued by Hawkinson. What do you think for him? Yeah, the tight end position is one of the trickiest to figure out when it comes to fantasy. And mm-hmm. Hawkinson's a guy I could easily see people start telling themselves, you know, man, I could see him being second in touchdowns on the Lions. And right. uh, he's got he's got all the potential in the world. Like just big You're talking about like, Stafford as a volume thrower. Exactly. So yeah, I definitely could see. And of course, like it's it's gonna come down to where he ranks, right? If all of a sudden we've got Hawkinson hype and he's the seventh ranked tight end, I'm out. Mm-hmm. I'm out. But if he's the fourteenth, we're having a different conversation. Yeah, I think that's true. As it relates to these wide receivers, listen, I love Kenny Galladay. Kevin, the year before I had a Carry On Johnson song, the song was <laughs> Madonna, and it was about Kenny Galladay. It was, Galladay, it would be so nice. But I think it's gone too far on him. I think he's going to be overvalued after his great year last year, especially because there were 11 touchdowns. And touchdowns are kind of fluky. I think Wait, he may have some touchdown regression. And if he gets only five touchdowns like he did in 2018 – He's not, you know, one of the top 10 wide receivers the way he was last year. The rest of the stats are comparable, right? In 18, he has 70 catches, uh, 1,063 yards. Last year, 65 catches, 1,190 yards. But the big-time difference is in that 11 touchdowns versus the five. So watch that because Marvin Jones is also a touchdown getter for this offense. He's had games where he had four touchdowns. In one game, if you remember that. So watch how the touchdowns go between Galladay and Jones, okay? Because two years ago, it was Jones. Last year, it was Galladay. So think about that being even. Obviously, though, Galladay is a wide receiver one for the Lions. I think he's a very good wide receiver two in fantasy. With the time we have left here, and that's the Detroit Lions, we'll talk about another NFC North team tomorrow. I do want to touch on the last dance. You know, it's interesting. We have about 15 years between us, you and I, Kevin, right? And so I saw this stuff live. I remember Michael Jordan against the Knicks and against the Pacers when he came back, the minor league baseball stint. It's interesting to hear from you about kind of, you know, seeing Michael, but through the prism of this ultimate uh, comparison with LeBron James, right? And I think it's hysterical, (laughs) all the examples of how Michael Jordan manufactured reasons to get motivated, whether it was Gary Payton, whether it was that one kid on the Wizards who had a game for on him, you know, or whether it's the changing of the number that he did in the playoffs. It's always that Jordan is finding these things to fuel his fire, whether they're real or made up. Well, my thing is, honestly, I wish you had caught me. The first time you and I were talking about the last dance, I wish you caught me about the other, you know, you know, five and six and what happened. We can talk about seven those. and eight. Carmen Electra still looking right. good. No, it's not that. It's not. It's not. I feel bad that this is what, the one that for me was a little. It was okay. a little corny. I gotta be honest with you. Mm. Like, I thought the, the the one really. It was the, the finals against the Sonics. Him being like George Carlin and shake my hand and that's right. when I knew. 
I was going off. Like, so yeah, another manufactured piece of motivation. What was your, what was your plan before that? Right. Was I was going to suck in this series, but now yeah. I'm a dominant. I was going to, I was going to blow the 72 and 10 season, but then George Carl stiffed me on a handshake. Like, what are you talking about, dude? And also, how come the narrative isn't, oh, when Gary Payton called me old and washed, I knew I had to body him. Oh, because right. that's not what happened. These are like, it comes off corny and fake. And what I hate, I like, it bothered me so much, man, because it is so whack. They won the finals, Dane. They, sure they won. He was the finals MVP. Sure For us to sit there in that documentary and laugh off Gary Payton. Dude, the numbers don't lie. He went from averaging 30 a game to 23 from like 50% shooting to almost 35% from the field. Gary Payton gave him problems. And if I'm George Carl, I'd not have one good night of sleep as I try and figure out how I decided that the defensive player of the right. year was not the guy to guard Michael Jordan until I was down 3-0. The Bulls didn't score 90 points in those three games as a team that Payton guarded MJ. It's just a reality. And, like, it was just corny because the thing is, right, like, I am excited to learn new things. I've garnered a new appreciation for the talent that mm. Scotty Pippen is and, yeah. and, and all of these different things throughout this documentary. It's, it's a great opportunity to learn more about the history. But I'm also not naive. Like, I didn't get to this spot with not knowing some of these things beforehand. And I'm not going to be fooled into thinking that Michael handed Gary Payton 45 on Father's Day. Notice how in games one, two, and three at the bottom of the documentary, they put how many points he's had. Yeah. But then four, five, six, we unfortunately just didn't get those numbers because <laughs> he shot five of 19 in the closeout game. But they still won because the Bulls were one of the best teams. It wasn't just him. Like, again, Michael is one of, if not the best to ever do it. And the right. documentary has been a blast. Unfortunately, I found just some of the... Like, it almost doesn't even sound like it might have been manufactured then, that it is stuff that's been manufactured after the fact. And it, I just, I don't know, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not drinking the juice, personally. I hear you. I mean, I remember some of these stories about how Michael would kind of come back after being, you know, whether it's John Starks dunking on him, whether it's B.J. Armstrong, you know, thinking he could crack the code, and how he used that as fuel for the fire. I certainly remember that when it was happening, but it's interesting to get different perspectives. The last two episodes will happen next weekend, and Kevin and I will certainly deconstruct that and offer our critique. But there is more between now until then. We'll continue to give you all the news on these leagues returning. There's a big UFC card tomorrow that we will talk about. All that and more on tomorrow's edition of The Early Line. DailyRoto.com. Learn from the game's best DFS players. We don't just give you premier advice. We play every day. All major sports, all year round, we never stop. Industry-leading DFS tools and custom projections. And now, the DailyRoto.com Optimizer. In minutes, build an optimized lineup for cash games and tourneys. Learn from the game's best DFS players. Join DailyRoto.com.